The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119. Uh, today we're going to be zeroing in on the second half of the letter Tet uh, in the Golden Alphabet series that we're doing. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. 65 to 72. We're still kind of in the... the uh, um, the subject of the goodness of God in light of what we would refer to uh, as theodicy uh, or the problem of evil. Um, While you're turning there, some people, they try to deal with the problem of what they would refer to as quote-unquote senseless suffering. And they do this by abandoning belief in God. Like I said, over the 30 years I've been in ministry now, the number one killer of Christians is what I like to call it, the killer of Christians. This is what causes people to walk away from God more than anything is circumstances and suffering and trials and tribulations and all, those, all of that. Which makes sense because the, the, the trials and tribulations that we go through actually tells us and shows us what we really believe. So yeah, this would be the thing that would probably cause those who don't have true genuine faith to walk away. So that's, that's one of the purposes of that, the testing of our faith. So some people will deal with this like, okay, well, I have a problem with suffering in the world, so we're going to deal with it by walking away from God. But that leaves some big questions. The question, number one, is if there is no God, Why should we be outraged when bad or unjust things happen to people? Violence, cruelty, and injustice happen all the time. But on what basis can we say that they're all wrong if there is no God? So when the German philosopher, atheist, and foundation to postmodernity today, his name is Friedrich Nietzsche, he heard that a volcanic eruption was followed by tsunamis that had destroyed Java in 1883. And he wrote to a friend and he said, 200,000 wiped out at a stroke. How magnificent. Essentially, he's saying, how awesome is that? Now, Nietzsche was being logically consistent because he didn't believe in God. And so he concludes, you must conclude, that all value judgments, therefore, are arbitrary. All definitions of justice are based on your culture and or temperament. It's not based on objective morality if you don't believe in God. The late Tim, uh, Dr. Tim Keller, he writes this, if there is no God or higher divine law, then injustice is perfectly natural. So abandoning belief in God doesn't help with the problem of suffering at all. So what does that mean? It means that you you deal with suffering and you say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with God. So you abandon God and you walk away. The minute you do that, all definition of suffering, all definition of bad, wrong, all of that stuff goes out the door. So what you're calling suffering, you walk away from God, is no longer suffering. You can't call it that if there's no God. That's the reality of this. That's the the difficulty of this. We continue to look at this topic. So I wanna make it really clear and, and show you why this is the case. It's the case because this is how being made in the image of God works. You can't live life believing that there's no such thing as God. You can't get away from it. It's unavoidable. Did you know that you actually have to believe in God in order for you to prove your point that there's no such thing as God? Because the minute you start to say all these things as to why God doesn't exist... It only has value and meaning if you believe that God exists. You cannot prove that God doesn't exist unless you first prove that God actually does exist. You see the irony. This is what it means by us being made in the image of God. We cannot get away from it. The only way that your judgments is going to have any, and I mean any value or meaning, is you have to presuppose God. Here's another example. To say that everything changes, that's a, that's a common thing that we have today. You want to say everything changes. Do you realize that that only has meaning if at least one thing doesn't change? 
Everything changes. Yes, that only has meaning though if one thing, at least one thing doesn't change. You know what that is? The statement that everything changes. Because if everything changes, then everything doesn't change if it changes. And essentially what that means is everything changes, at least one thing does not change, and the statement that everything changes, and the reason as to why everything changes. What's the one thing that cannot change? That's the insanity of walking away from God when we suffer. The minute you walk away and abandon God, you lose any value to anything that you would call suffering. So you say that's suffering, that's only suffering if you believe God exists. The minute you walk away from God, that's not suffering. It's just random events that happens in the universe. Who's to say it's right? Who's to say it's wrong? Anything you will call suffering, another can make a case that it's not suffering. And neither you or anyone else has the upper hand. Why would you call it suffering? How can you call it suffering? Who says that it's suffering? Like Nietzsche said, how awesome that all of these things are happening to you. But many can't live here, can't stay there. Once you realize and recognize that, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that we can't not believe in God. So do you know what happens? The unbelief in God that we have, that everybody has today, is not that God doesn't exist. The unbelief is that we don't believe that God is good. That's the struggle. That's the real issue. The Israelites, think about it, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they could not at any point deny the existence of God, right? I mean, how foolish would that be? God doesn't exist as they look at the pillar of fire at night. Yeah, there's no God. There's no God. They couldn't do that, right? But they were condemned for their unbelief. What unbelief is he talking about here? It's not unbelief that God doesn't exist. It's the unbelief that they did not believe that God was good, that God was a good God, right? Because remember, they were just like, what, what is God doing here? You know, God just brought us out here. He hates us. He brought us out here so he could kill us. He brought us out here so he could do horrible things to us. And they were condemned for their unbelief. This is biblically really the only unbelief that's given in the scriptures. Now remember I said Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear that there is no such thing as an atheist. There are people out there calling themselves atheists and the Bible says there's no such thing as an atheist. Uh, well, Shane, you keep bringing up Romans 1. You keep saying that. Well, here it is. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So it's not that they don't know the truth. They suppress it. They know the truth about God. Why? Because God has made it obvious to them. There's no such thing as atheists. So all unbelief that you see in scripture is the unbelief that God is a good God. Right? It's not that he doesn't exist. That's a lot of the things that we say when we go through trials, we go through suffering, we go through tribulation, we go through all these things. That's the common thing I hear from people all the time. You know what, Shane? God just hates me. Right, that's what you hear. God just hates me. You know what? God abandoned me. He's a liar. He said he would never leave me nor forsaken me, and he has absolutely forsaken me today. This is what they say. Even worse, some people actually think that God is, you know what? I think God really is just like a trickster. He's up there in heaven, and he just comes up with all these practical jokes, and he's just playing it out on us. Well, I'm serious. Uh, one, of, one of the professors at Colorado Christian University when I, was going, when I was going there actually told me that, that he believed that God was really just a prankster up there and him and the devil are playing some kind of game and he's using us as chess pieces. 
Uh, he didn't realize who he was talking to. I immediately went to the dean and told him. <laughs> I think he might have got fired because of that, but I don't know. I can't remember. I, I was appalled. I couldn't believe he was saying these things to me. Anyway, some people actually believe that. And the reason for this is because a lot of this stems from circumstances and suffering. And the reason for this, like I said last week, is because our real standard, let's not lie to ourselves today, our real standard of morality does not come from Scripture. Right or wrong doesn't come from the Bible because it comes from society and it, becomes, and it comes from our culture. Now, here at Central Baptist Church, we're trying not to do that. Okay, but this is the reason, you know this is the case, you know this is how people feel, because it's always the Bible that's put on trial. Why is it that culture is never put on trial? Why is it that society is not put on trial based on the, the Bible? Why is it that anytime the Bible says something that's countercultural, we have to be apologists and we've got to defend Scripture? Why? Because we're trying to defend it in light of the real morality that's coming from our culture. So we got to be honest with ourselves today, because if we're honest with ourselves today, this is really, really going to help us. Because in reality, if the Bible was our true foundation, and it was the center of our morality, it was foundational, it was in essence our morality, there would be no issues today ever, especially when it comes to the church. No issues, because if we really believe the word is true, and if the word of God is foundational to all, then we must conclude that God is good, and the only thing he does is good. If the Bible is true, and that's really what we believe, then everything that's happening in this world that God does is good, no matter what you might think. It's good. Why? It's not just an interpretation that I'm going Family, this is, thus saith the word of God. Let's check it out. Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. Psalm 119, 65 to 72. You have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. Arrogant people smear me with lies, but in truth I obey your commands with all my heart. Their hearts are dull and stupid, but I delight in your instructions. My suffering was good for me for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that it will continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're gonna look at today is our propensity to listen to the lies that come from the world instead of the truth that comes from scripture. So the old, here's the old, old uh, worship song that I used to sing when I was young. Whose report will you believe? The second point of interest is the declaration of the living God that his word is more precious than millions in gold and silver because it contains the greatest message ever heard. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin, the flesh, and the pattern of this world cause us to doubt the goodness of God due to circumstances, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel that will cause us to see that the Lord is good and does only good, and that is good news. So, point number one, whose report will you believe? That's the question today. Whose report are you gonna believe? Now, if you guys know the song, we shall believe the report of the Lord. Amen. All right, there's some old, old revivalists out there. The report of the Lord. See, the arrogant here smears the psalmist with lies. 
Okay, they speak against him. They, they speak against him not with the truth, but the image that we have here, if you look at the Hebrew, the image really is more in the sense of forging. So the arrogant forge, crafted forge lies against the psalmist. But a closer look at this will show something even more sinister. What is the common thing that's forged on an anvil? Weapons. The intent of the lies is to be used as a weapon against him. And even worse, what do you think is forged on the devil's anvil? What kind of weapon would that be? This is what the arrogant do. They craft weapons against us. These lies, the deceptions, they're crafted to come against us. Not only are they arrogant, but the psalmist says that they are unfeeling. Um, the, the Living Translation, well, the second edition, dull and stupid is a way to see this. But some of your translations, especially if you have the uh, English Standard Version, it's unfeeling just like fat. That's the, 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 the big picture. Unfeeling just like fat. Now, I have a newfound experience when it comes to this. I'm going to share this with you because it's kind of gross. But... Uh, you know, since the gallbladder surgery, something happened with my pancreas, and so um, I'm not able to produce insulin. So now I have to take insulin shots, you know, for blood sugar. Here's the thing, like, I, I like to experiment with stuff. Now, I'll take my insulin shot, and I'll, like, stab myself in my stomach. This is where I take my insulin shot. Now, at the beginning, when you pierce the skin, it kind of hurts. But what's interesting is once the needle goes in and it gets into my little fat layer here. I take that needle and I like swirl it around. I, I know, I know. I have, I have serious problems if you guys haven't figured that out by now. But, but God's grace is, is amazing. It's still amazing for me. But I thought what's kind of weird is it hurts when it goes through the skin, but when it's in that, the fat area, there's no feeling. I can spin that thing around and I don't feel anything. And when I was studying this and I was reading this, I was just like, yeah, you know what? That's true. That's true. There's no feeling when it comes to, you know, to the fat cells right over here. There's no feeling. The image is wonderful, though, to see this. Do you know what he's essentially saying? The arrogant... These people that, uh, that are coming in and forging weapons against you, they're unfeeling, just like that, meaning they don't care. They're unfeeling people. They have no feelings. They don't care what you're feeling. They don't care what you're going through. They don't care. I have no feelings for this. I'm, I'm completely 100% sterile on this. There's no feeling. Absolutely no feeling when it comes to this. They don't care. Fat cells have no feeling, meaning they don't care. Communicating the fact that the people don't care. What he's saying is that these people don't care. So there's arrogant people in this world who are fashioning weapons against us in the form of lies and deception. And you know what? To top it all off, they do not care what it does to you. Whew. They don't care. They don't care about us. They don't care that their lies could destroy you. You're just a means to an end for them. The arrogant and the unfeeling continue to craft and forge lies against us today. And they are used as weapons to destroy us because they don't care. They don't care who they're hurting. And many of us, you know, we've probably experienced stuff like this, right? You've had people lie on you before, come against you with lies. But see, here's the thing. You know, this is one of the things that illustrates the importance of this. How do the arrogant and unfeeling come against you? They craft weapons in the form of lies and deception. 
you know, hey, Shane, well, you know, I just, you know, one of my things is like, you're always so up in arms when it comes to like false doctrine and it comes to all these things. Do you know why I come in uh, up in arms with that? Because these false doctrine things that are out there, these things are lies and they're deceptions that were crafted by people to destroy you. Now, what kind of pastor am I if I just let that go? They're crafted. I, I'm telling you, family, I, you know, if you know my background, you know, you know Steve's background, you know where we came from. We were in, in the back the backstage, we were behind the scenes with a lot of these popular preachers and stuff like that. I am telling you, family, they are crafting lies to get you to give. They're, they're crafting this stuff. And do you think they care? No. The arrogant and unfeeling, they craft this stuff. We know this. We know people lie on us. They lie about our character. They, make, they try to lie to make us look bad. Lies used as weapons against us. It's shots against our character, against what we are, against how we are, against where we are. But here is the most devastating of lies coming from the arrogant and the unfeeling today. They are against who you are. This is where it's coming. They're arrogant and unfeeling. They tell you that there's no God and you are just a random autonomous event that just happened in the universe. If not, if they're not telling you that, then they're essentially telling you that God doesn't care. They're telling you that, you know what? God has better things to do than to be messing with us today. He, he can't be bothered with you. Some people will tell you that God in all actuality, look at our world. God essentially hates us. He wants us to suffer and die. The world is saying, who cares what his word says? He doesn't care about us anyway. The arrogant tells you that your purpose in life is to achieve and experience all that you want. Grab all that you can in life. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. The unfeeling tells us there are no eternal consequences. There's no hell. So don't worry about what it is that you do. Be free. Be free to experience everything that you want. Enjoy life. Enjoy everything that the world has to offer because there's no consequences. Make your own reality. You guys know the golden rule? He who has the gold makes the rules. Create your own destiny. You decide. And you know what's interesting about this message that we're getting in the world today? Do you realize all it's doing is making everybody angry? You know, like I said, I'm just, I, I don't want to be political behind the pulpit, but it's just when you, when you, when they interview some of the protesters today, you know, they're angry and when they ask them questions about the issues, they have no idea. I remember one interview, she's just mad. I am, I am so sick and tired of what they're doing in Palestine. Um, you know, we gotta stand up for Palestine. And the reporter was just like, um, can you tell me where exactly is Palestine? <laughs> it's just, they don't know what's going on. They, they have no idea. The one, one of the students was just saying, hey, look, man, I'm out here yelling and screaming because, you know, the teacher said that I could have extra credit if I do this. You know, it's just, they're just out there. But, but the thing is, is that we're so willing to do it. Why? Because we're just angry. People in our world are just angry. Why is it that when we're on the freeway and we're stuck in traffic and somebody cuts us off, why can't we bless them? Why does it have to be a long list of cursing and hand gestures and all that stuff? Can't we just be nice to people? Because in reality, in reality, there are promises that people are just never going to get. And they're angry about it. And what makes it even worse is social media is showing how other people are getting it 
but not me. And so it's making me even more angry. Do you realize that there's even, there's even businesses out there that will uh, create a vacation for you so that you can keep up with the Joneses? It's just like, well, yeah, uh, you know, our friends, our good friends, they went on vacation this year, but we can't do it. So you pay this company like a hundred bucks and they'll superimpose you and your family on a beach somewhere, you know, looking like you're at the beach and they take pictures of you and then they build this whole vacation. So you can go to social media and you can show everybody the vacation, the awesome vacation that we took today. For what? You didn't take it, you didn't enjoy it, you didn't do it. No, you're just doing it because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And number two, all you're doing is making other people who didn't go on vacation even more sad when, and all you did was lie about the blessing that you had. What are we doing? This is what the message the world is giving us and this is what's happening to people today. It comes against who we are. And all it's doing is making people angry. And this is the response I get. Well, you know what, Shane? You know what, Shane? Come on. These guys that are out there, these cultural anthropologists, psychologists, the doctors, the smart people, you know, the professors at our universities, you know, the professors at our Ivy League schools, these guys are the experts. These guys are the ones that studied. All you are is a pastor in Aurora, Colorado, you know, with, with you know, an empty parking lot on Sundays. They're the experts. They experienced this stuff. You didn't. They are the ones who looked into it. You didn't. You haven't looked into this. They got the equipment to study this stuff. You don't. They are smarter than you. They got the knowledge. They got the awareness. And you know what? Even their colleagues, who are just as smart as they are, more, and even some of them more experienced than they are, all these people, they all concur. They agree with them. They've seen it all too. They've been where you have not been. They've seen what you have not seen. They're the ones on TV for crying out loud, Shane. They are the experts. They continue to research, and the world continues to report. Do you know what all that is? All the stuff that we're getting, the media, all the stuff, people telling us how things are, people telling us how, you know what all it is? All it is are the spies and the scouts that went and checked it out. Yeah, they're the ones that know. They're the ones that saw. They're the ones that experienced. They're the ones with all the knowledge. They're the ones that got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they're the ones that saw it. And they went out into the land and they came back with a report. The Lord told them to go in. Everything is going to be okay. But instead, the spies came back and were like, I don't think so. We went and checked it out. There's giants in the land. We're not going to win this war. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do any of this stuff. This is, this is just all bad. This is just not good. And then what happened is the people go, well, you know what? They're just, you know, because God hates us. God hates us. He doesn't really love us. He's not good. This is what happens. Because the spies came back and gave the report. You Christians are so gullible. You guys still believe in fairy tales. Still believe in an old sky daddy. Don't be foolish. We've seen it. We've researched it. We've investigated. We looked at the evidence. The experts have concluded there is no God, and if there is, he's a bad one. This is the report of the world. Whose report are you going to believe? Our psalmist declares that he will go to the word of the Lord. He goes to the word of the Lord with all of his heart. He actually delights in the word of God. He believes 
the report of the Lord. Family, Christians, evangelicals today, will we stop listening to the culture? Are we ever going to stop listening to the lies? Will we stop listening to the deception that was crafted and being used as a weapon against you by the arrogant and the unfeeling? Or will you believe in the word of the Lord that says no weapon foreign against you will prosper? All those who rise against you will fall. Whose report are we going to believe today, family? But why should I listen to the word of God? Well, because our psalmist says here in the word that his instruction, his word, his guidance, his precept, his law, is more precious than millions. Point number two, more precious than millions. The word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver. The lies are forged against us to hurt us. But the word of God is truth and it's there to sanctify us. John chapter 17, verse 17. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So the question today is this. How much is truth worth to us today? Let me just think about our culture in general. How much is truth worth? It's a hard one, yeah. How much truth, how much is truth worth? See, it's a very extraordinary thing that's being communicated by our psalmist. Now, you and I both know that coming from me, that might not say much. I'm not even close to having a million in gold and silver. Just in case you didn't know. Not even close. I don't, I don't even think I got into the silver market yet. I still think I'm in the stainless steel market. <laughs> if that. <laughs> it's easy to say, it's easy to say that when you don't have millions in gold and silver. What would those who have it say? Well, Charles Spurgeon says something amazing here. He says, if a poor man had said this, the people of the world without much understanding would have hinted that the author was just jealous and that those without wealth are the first to despise it. Yeah, it's easy to say that gold and silver is bad when you don't have gold and silver. However, this is the verdict of a man who owned thousands and could judge the value of money and the value of truth by actual experience. Because family, what we see here is the psalmist is understood to be traditionally, traditionally understood as David. And let's be honest, David was not unfamiliar when it come to wealth. Oh yeah, he had wealth. And he shows just how awesome the word of God is how great is the word of God? How wonderful is the word of God? Yes, we see that wealth is good in some respects, but we see what with David's statement here is that obedience is better in every respect. The word is better in so many respects. And here's the thing. Did you know that millions in gold and silver can be stolen? Did you know that millions, especially in our culture today, millions in gold and silver can run out really fast? Oh yeah, it can take flight. Did you know that it could actually even come up missing? I took it, I hid it, and I can't remember where I buried it. <laughs> it's starting to get more of a reality for me. I can't even remember where I hide keys sometimes. It can be lost. Millions in gold and silver can be lost. And here's the big one. Here it is. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Gold and silver 
is absolutely worthless to you in your hour of death. Now, again, I've been a pastor for a while and I've been at deathbeds. And they're not talking about gold and silver when they're in their last moments. It's absolutely worthless. It is not going to help you. But here's the thing, family, when it comes to the word of God, why is it more valuable? Because the word of God cannot be stolen. It cannot be lost. And it's the comfort that we need, what we want, and what we crave in the hour of death. Every single person that I've been at the deathbed and we've talked Every single person wanted to hear the word of God. Or at least something about the word of God. I remember when I was with my, my grandmother from Texas, my Texas grandmother, you know, we'd been reading the word of God. And at the very last hour, I decided that it would be nice to, to read Pilgrim's Progress. So I started reading Pilgrim's Progress. I got through the first chapter. This is kind of a funny story. I mean, it's not funny that someone died, but it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> so I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress uh, to my grandmother, and then I get done with my, my, the first chapter, and then my dad goes, who is that? And I said, that was, you know, John Bunyan, you know, the Puritan, John Bunyan. And he goes, oh, the Puritans. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Puritans, Shane, the Puritans back. And he started, my dad, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, he starts giving history. And the minute he started to go down history is when my grandmother stopped breathing. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but anyway, it's just not breathing. It's just, it was just funny. But it was just that moment where, <laughs> when it's at the end, that's what you want, the comfort that you get from the word of God. So it's not just worth more than millions in gold and silver. Family, it's priceless. You can't put a price on the word of God. It said, a sure sign of a heart that has learned God's statutes when it values God's word above all earthly possessions. Do we value God's word over all earthly possessions? This, this one shirt that I'm still trying to get my hands on, I'm trying to find it. It's a, it's a, it's a, what, one of those reformed uh, scholastic shirts that they have out there. It says this, uh, reformed scholastic theologians, the shirt says, I buy books. That's what we do, right? We read. We read books in the Bible. We read theology. I buy books. And if there's anything left, I'll buy food. the value of God's word. The word of God is what we need. Many have sought riches and found, they found it and realized it did not make life better at all. It's funny what the statistics are showing is the more money people get, the more discontent they become. Isn't that interesting? The more money we get, the more discontent we become. And we look at our culture. Again, everyone's just flat angry. Where else are you going to go? The message that we're getting today is not doing it. All it's going to do is cause riots. The reality is, is that because of sin, we don't want to hear the truth. We, by nature, love the darkness instead of the light because our deeds are evil. The reality is we reject the word of God because we by nature believe that God is not good. The reality is that we see God allowing good people to suffer as the real problem. Do you guys realize that? That's our knee-jerk reaction. Why does God allow evil things, bad things to happen to good people? That's the real problem, they say. Why does God allow all these bad things to happen to good people? You know what the real problem actually is? 
It's not why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God allow evil people to prosper? That's the real problem. Seriously, like, you know, bad things happening to good people, all that stuff. That, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm just saying it, the real problem, the thing that will keep you up at night is, why does God allow evil people to prosper? Why would you do that, God? Why would, why would you? But you know what? That never comes up. Every time we have these meetings and every time I have, you know, some, sometimes we have these small debates and things that happen. We come talking about this issue and the problems of evil and apologetics forums and all the stuff that we do. This never comes up. And I just was thinking, you know why I think that it never comes up? Because I think naturally we're actually okay with it that we might actually be okay with the fact that evil people prosper. Why? Because we actually feel like that's God's job is to prosper the people and make life good. Now, yeah, they're evil people, but you're a God of mercy and you're a God of love. You should just bless them too. And, and, and by the way, don't forget to bless me. So what the evil people are getting is the blessing that they're supposed to get, but you're mad because you haven't gotten that blessing yet. And you're saying, I need, what about me? That's why this is messed up. I'm a good person and you're not blessing me. See, that's where we think that it is. Because in essence, I think we're actually okay with that. We're okay with it. That's the real problem, but we're okay with it. God's job is to prosper everyone no matter how bad they are. All the while forgetting that God makes it clear that wealth could actually be judgment. Do you know that? Wealth could actually be judgment. We're crying and we're whining and we're complaining about, oh, God doesn't make me wealthy. God doesn't give me this. God doesn't give me money. God doesn't do this stuff, all this stuff. And it's just like, we, I just want to be rich. I just want to, you know, be able to eat shrimp every night. You know, I want to go on vacation and go to the Kamahaba Bahamas and all the, you know, and, you know, and be able to wear, you know, some shoes and, and things that's not made of rubber, you know, all that stuff. I just, I just want this. Why can't God do this and all this stuff? I just need this. But don't we realize that the Bible makes it pretty clear that those who have wealth could actually be under judgment. Do you realize that everyone who has money, everyone who has wealth, you know, if that's any of you guys here, I don't know about it, but if that's you... You could probably attest to this. You are always tempted with the who is God issue. This is Proverbs 30. He's like, God, you know, don't make me poor so, that, so poor that I go out and steal, but don't make me so rich that I start saying who is God. You know what that essentially is saying? It's like they got so much money that they don't need anything. Therefore, they don't need God for anything. What do I need God for? I got everything I need. That's judgment if that happens. And, it, and it's not just that. Family, look at how society is. You know, I got, I got, I got friends who, who, I have friends who are very wealthy. Uh, they don't come to this church because they don't want to hear it, number one. They think they don't need it right? Because they don't need anything. But they already have that struggle about not needing anything. They already have that in their lives, right? They already think that they don't need God. They already think that, you know? And, and family, do you know what happens? This is where it gets really sad for me. Do you know what happens? It, they, they already have their own issues when it comes to themselves. But do you know what? We contribute to that. You know how we contribute to that? We let them get away with so much. They do things that are wrong and they need to be rebuked and called out for it, but the pastors won't do it because they're too scared that they're going to make them mad and they're going to leave the church. 
Come on. You guys hear you guys hearing this? We we put them in positions where they receive all kinds of benefits and thinking that they're more than they are because they're they're unqualified for it. I can tell you how many times I've been in in situations where I had to deal with church leadership of people who don't meet the qualifications in Timothy. And then I'm like, why is this guy an elder of the church? And then I find out later, he's like the second largest contributor to the church. And you know what? And, 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 And people are afraid. People are worried. I've never, ever, ever in ministry seen a rich person put on church discipline. Never! Never. And, and, and Steve, I don't know if you remember the pink slips. The pink slips that we used to get on Monday at the church that we used to go to, that, that we were ministers at. You know what the pink slips were? We got pink slips with a person's name and phone number. Because if you were to give in the tithes and offerings over $10,000, we were instructed to give them a personal phone call, take them out to lunch, and to essentially give them and do whatever it is that they need me to do. If they need counseling, don't you dare call them a sinner. Don't you dare say anything negative about them when you go. I hated those pink slips. Every time I saw that stuff on my desk, I just wanted to burn it. I could not believe the favoritism that our church was giving them. Don't, Shane, whatever you do. I I was at a pastor, we went to a pastor's conference and, and all us pastors were there. Now, I was on the board of this pastor group. The head pastor said, you know what? We've got, we got pastors from mega churches that are coming to this meeting today. Shane, I'm talking to you. Do not argue with them about theology. Do not talk to them about you know, how their view of the gospel is wrong. There, there's prosperity gospel people there. Do not talk to them about prosperity gospel being heresy. Do not say any of that. Why? Why? My, that was my question. Why? This could be the moment where they actually hear the truth. But we're not going to do it because they're successful. See, you see how the judgment comes? If you're rich and wealthy, don't expect anybody around you to tell you the truth when you really need to hear it. The judgment continues, and this is what we're longing for. This is what we pine for. This is what we've got to have. This is the reality of sin. Lies and deceptions are plenty. The the Bible makes it very clear, family. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We are all by nature children of wrath. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Whether you got millions of gold and silver or however rich or however poor you are, the wages of sin is death and it's 100%. 100% of us. The punishment is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is eternal darkness, eternal fire, outer darkness. And family, how much money do you think you, it's going to take to save you from this. How much? Somebody want to take a guess how much money it's going to take to save us from the wrath to come? I heard a billion? Trillion. A trillion dollars. In the end, it's not going to matter how much you have and how much you don't have. It's not going to matter about what you have. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you do. What matters is what you know and what the Bible tells you. And what does the Bible tell us? 
that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world in order that the world might be saved through him. And for Diana, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. Family, this stuff is priceless. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's no amount of money that's going to be able to provide that for anyone. Millions in gold and silver will never bring the kind of hope that can only come from the promises of God. Jesus is our Lord. He is our all. And his word is as awesome as it gets. He is good. All he does is good. And he told us, he told us by the very thing that the very, he told us by the very thing the living God says is more valuable than anything in this world. Do you know, as much as I, I grew up believing that gold was indestructible, did you know that they found a way to destroy it now? It's called, it was called royal water. It's, an, it's, a, it's kind of an acid and it can actually destroy gold. This is my favorite. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.